1: Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays on CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. Today, I'm here with a PSG friend. Of course, we are here with a PSG friend. Her name is Phoenix Silverstar. She is a member of the Aquarian Tabernacle Church, and she's a former dean and teacher of the Wollstone Theological Seminary. And she has studied magic in both the United States and India. And of course, she is going to be here talking about her first book, uh, Spells from Scratch, How to Craft Spells That Work. Welcome to Learning Mondays, Phoenix Silverstar. How are you? Thank you.
2: I am doing very well. And how are you?
1: I'm great. I cannot believe it's been four years since we met. We met on... Um, PSG 2019 and I remember that we were both crying our eyes out looking at the um, ordination that happened that year. Yes. um, Circle Century Ministers and then that was it right and then next thing I know she's published the book which I'm very happy uh, to talk about but in the meantime I want our audience to get to know you as well so tell us a little bit about your path how do you find witchcraft in your life
2: i think i've always been uh doing magic but not very deliberately or really even knowing but i w- was able to manifest things even though i didn't know what i was doing and then uh, i was brought up christian and i i but i had a event as many of us have that made me realize that Christianity was not for me. And I did a a study really of what religions are out there. And it was an eye-opener to realize that (laughs) that there is a religion that that teaches many of the things that I sort of did intuitively and also where it's um, eye sealing as we would say in Swedish, uh, meaning many different ways of thinking are allowed. There's no prescribed way of belief. And that's that's how I became formally a Wiccan.
1: And how long have you been practicing as a Wiccan? Well, it's been
2: a few decades. Um, <laughs> it's been over 20 years but I don't
1: remember exactly. And what people don't know is that, obviously, Wicca as a religion is a very young, you know, bigger quotes, very young, uh, mm-hmm. 70, 80 years uh, young, but it's not, but it's based obviously on, like, nature spirituality and, and nature-based religions. And um, so, what were some of those things that you were doing as a child that you didn't know it was witchcraft,
2: but I would, if I wanted something, I would visualize it as being real and visualize myself in that situation that I wanted to be in. And then, you know, whenever that was to happen a week later, two later, whatever, then it happened. And I never understood that I was actually making it happen.
1: And that is such commonplace, right? That happens a lot to to a lot of us, which is, um, so you were a professor on theology, right?
2: I I was um, I could call myself a pr- professor because I have a PhD in a different, uh, uh, in a different um, subject, but we actually don't use at the at the Wilsonstein Theological Seminary, just decided to call people members of faculty. But yes, I I was the dean of faculty, not the dean of the whole seminary, but the dean of faculty at the Wiccan um, Seminary.edu, the Wilsonstein Theological Seminary, and um, I taught both core classes and quite a few electives on on um, mythology and other subjects.
1: That is such a fascinating um, path. Did that help you recognize yourself more and more like into your
2: witchy self? No, I had already, I was already uh, a Wiccan and I got, when I retired in mundane life, I got a ma- uh, first a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree in Wiccan ministry from the Wilson State Theological Seminary and when I was done with that, I started teaching there.
1: Beautiful. So tell us how how did you get into crafting this book? This is a beautiful book. The name of the book is called Spells from Scratch. How to craft spells that work. And what inspired you to write
2: this book? So I was in India. I lived in India for a number of years. And a friend of mine bought a spell book and a spell kit and she was going to do magic with it and I was a little taken aback or horrified because she didn't know what she was doing and she was just going to take exactly what, what it said in the spell kit and in the spell book and go do those things and I said there are two things that can happen that can go wrong the one is that it won't work at all because you don't know the mechanism for how to cast the spell and it doesn't tell you it just tells you what ingredients to use and and maybe to light a candle but it doesn't tell you anything about how to raise power and how to send power and the other thing i said is if you actually manage to do that anyway it could go wrong because you don't know what the person who wrote this or the person that put together that spell it, how knowledgeable they are or what their intent was and And so I thought to myself, this is not good that people go and do this. Uh, And what we should be teaching is how for people to write their own spells and with all the detail of how to cast it so that it is effective and safe. And first, I was going to write it as a class, but it ended up being a book. But I will, at least I plan to also teach it as a class, as a, a class at the seminary. A semester long
1: class and of course it it makes a great difference right to like read something from i don't know generic internet uh spell work what i what strikes me as odd uh, sometimes when people fold follow this um recipes to the tea without knowing what it is is sometimes it will call for certain herbs or the time of the day or a direction that like here in Chicago, we have water to the East. And I know a lot of people will have a fit with like, no, no water goes to West. I work with the water of the East because I have it right here, three blocks away from me, the Lake Michigan and no three blocks, but you know, like a mile. um, And that's where the water is. How important it is that we learn, you know, to, to actually adapt and and to get this book and to
2: read the things and so you pointed something else out or made me think of something else and that is when people look at the spell book um, which are just recipes and they are lacking an ingredient it's important to know why that ingredient is there so that you know that you can substitute it. there are other herbs or ingredients that may do the same thing. But if you don't have that knowledge and you're just following a list of things to put in a spell, you're not going to have the the flexibility. And of course, the other thing is that, that you can, if when you know how to write spells from scratch and craft them, you can tailor them to your own situation exactly rather than Asking something that is approximately your situation.
1: And, you know, this reminds me of a, a personal anecdote that I have. Um, and I want to share with you and, and the audience. I'm Mexican from Mexico. I grew up in Mexico City, right? Uh, and the work that I do, communication, tarot, teaching, um, being on the liminal spaces, et cetera, is related to one concept of our uh, philosophy called and that concept or that God as as people understand it um, is related to obsidian right the obsidian stone the obsidian mirror the obsidian uh, for crying that was taken to Europe by John Deere and then the Europeans tried to bring it back and magic. like look we have this crystal and we're like yeah we've been having it for a thousand years thank you hmm. but Um, I, when I was crafting my wand, I said I wanted to put an obsidian arrowhead at the tip of it. And a person who is not Mexican and and know nothing about my intention, immediately told me, matter of fact, obsidian is a very bad crystal and you shouldn't put it on your wand because it brings out, um, it brings about negative energy yeah and of course she read it somewhere and i was like even if that was the case my personal relationship with obsidian and the work of the scalipoca it's you know so that reminds me of um reading things from a recipe book where you don't have the ingredients or uh, like with cilantro, you know, some people cannot eat cilantro because it tastes like soap. So what if the recipe calls for cilantro and then you cannot eat it? It's that is a very similar situation, you know, like don't put obsidian on your one, like, Hey, don't tell me what to do. Thank you. But b, like, I have a very personal relationship and that is, um, one of those things that, like you say, you know, can be substituted. Or replace in a recipe that it will work it it will obviously not work for the other person but it will work for me um and we get this grandiose um concept of telling people what to do and what not to do and that's why i like about this book because you're telling people uh how to do on their own yeah and before we start doing on our own there are certain concepts that you mentioned on the book that they are not very familiar for people uh for some of us we knew him before but we didn't know they have a name and for some people they never heard it before such as the concept of the astral because in the book you says create your goal on the astral plane so what is what is that about well
2: we exist on several planes and what's Here and now, and that you look at and where you can touch and move things with your hands, that's the physical planes. There are other planes, but I'll focus for this on the other plane that is important for the magic that we're doing, and that's the astral plane. Um, The physical plane, our here and now, is a subset of everything that exists in the astral. There's a lot more stuff in the astral than in the physical but in order for something to exist here in the physical plane, it has to exist in the astral plane. It cannot be here if there isn't. it. What's in the physical is a double of something in the astral. And therefore, the first thing we need to do if we want to manifest something is make sure that it exists in the astral so that it can manifest in the physical um, there's other in for example in kabbalah there's a very similar concept but for us manifesting it in the astral some people are used to working in the astral and they just pop out of their body and off they go for people who aren't who have not done astral travel there is a detailed list of steps to create an astral temple, which is your starting point, and then from there, once you have an astral temple and you understand the concept, you can look out and start creating what you want to manifest in the physical first by visualizing it, by seeing it in the astral plane.
1: Absolutely, and for some folks, like I was saying, you know, for some of us, comes like a natural happenstance and. We didn't know that that was a name. And then when you start hearing these names, you're like, oh, it has a name, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, but it's wonderful how you um, guide us on this book and take us to create our own altar and then to start manifesting. And one of my beliefs and what I teach sometimes, you know, to my apprentices is like, tools are cool, but you don't need them sometimes. And I'm not saying... Don't use tools for magic. Do you? I, you know, Phoenix, I always tell my princess, the four, the four most magical words, you do you, boo. Do you? Um, but I believe that sometimes uh, we focus too much on the form of something and we don't focus on the depth. And when you focus your magic on the astral, tools can be a cool thing to have, but they're not necessary. in right. my opinion. Mm-hmm. What is important to have though is to understand the laws of magic. And I love that in this book, you also talk about the laws of magic a lot. And, and there are rules, there are laws, there are things that we ought to follow. Again, if you're baking a cake, you're not going to bake it for five minutes just because you feel five minutes is good. You know, it has to take time, a certain temperature, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Continuing with that metaphor of cooking. So what are some of these laws of magic that oftentimes we forget, even even see some people forget the laws. So remind us, please.
2: I am so glad you asked this question because I'm very excited to talk about the laws of magic because I'm um, in mundane life, um, a physicist, and there are laws of nature, the laws of man, and and I have been working with laws of nature since I was in my late teens. The laws of magic are similar. They are, you do this and that happens. They were first analyzed by Sir um, James George Fraser was his name. It was in 1890. And he published a book called The Golden Bowl. And he defined um, the law of similarity and the law of contagion. And he put those under an umbrella that he called sympathetic magic. I'm going to talk about what they are in just a little bit. And then he also talks about religious magic. And for the sympathetic magic laws, it's just like laws of nature. You do this, that happens. So sympathetic magic is the overall term for things that uses imitation or similarities and correspondences in spell work. So the law of similarity is the thought that life produces life. And um, in new, if you're familiar with new age thinking, they talk about how the thoughts you send out attract the same energy back. They call it the law of attraction. This is somewhat similar. It says that, If you have something that symbolizes something else or is like something else, it will attract that something else. It will help you manifest that something else. So that's why we use um, symbols and correspondences like earth is a green color might be a correspondence that you use. Or you might draw a dollar bill if you want to manifest prosperity you might use green in your spell if you want to manifest prosperity, both for Earth and because in this country, the currency is green. Um, If you look in the book, there is quite a lot of um, time spent in the book on uh, correspondences. And so that is, so that The reader, once they've set their goal, there's a lot about how to set the goal correctly also, what they want to manifest. But once they've done that, they can find the right symbols and the right correspondences and the right crystals and the right herbs and the right oils and the right this and the right that that is a similarity or correspondence to what they want to manifest so that it will help what we call layer the magic in the spell. So, for example, if you want to manifest love in your life, you might use rose quartz, a heart chakra crystal. Uh, You may use emerald, or maybe a red rose, because many it is established that a red rose is a symbol of love. Things that have, that people, that we humans have used for a very long time to mean something has that meaning magically. It has been established. Uh, We use puppets is a a similarity magic too. If you want to do healing with a puppet puppet, you might put something on top of your little puppet doll that represents Um, the disease that you want to remove. And then as you do your spell work, you physically take that and move it off of the doll. You're using the law of similarity, telling the universe that, look, this disease is being removed from this person. Law of similarity. Um, If we talk about If we talk about the law of contagion instead, everything is connected. We know that. What the law of contagion says, that anything that has ever been in physical contact remains forever in magical contact. So that means, you may have heard, that some witches do not like to have their hair cut in a a salon because they were that somebody will do something with their hair I go to hair salons and have my hair cut even though anything that has ever been in physical contact forever remains in magical contact I still do that because I think the chances that somebody who is my enemy and is also a very accomplished witch Accomplished enough that they actually could perform something that would be harmful and that also would know when and where I get my hair cut and would be buddies with the hair salon people and be able to get my hair. That is such a vanishingly small probability that I don't worry about But yeah. that is why, if to go back to the puppet, you might ask for somebody's hair if you're doing a spell for them with a puppet or you might might ask for a piece of clothing that you're allowed to cut and put inside the puppet or con- clothe the puppet in. You're using the law of contagion here. You're also using similarity if you put the hair on as hair on the on the puppet. But more strongly you're using the law of contagion because now you are connecting this puppet magically with the person. Because you're using things that have been in physical contact with them. Then we get to religious magic. That is the third law. And that is the really interesting law of of magic because it's practiced almost the same throughout so many religions. We call on a goddess or a god to accomplish a goal, and we offer the deity something in return, there's an energy exchange between the human and the deity. In Catholic Church, it might involve giving uh, some coins, or it might involve lighting a candle in front of of a saint's um, uh, picture in honor of them, to honor them, and to ask for their assistance with something. in Wicca, it might mean putting out fish and garlic and bread for a Carter, or presenting Aphrodite with a fresh rose or a pearl necklace, and then asking for her for her assistance in manifesting something. So they're very, very similar concepts. Um, in If you're to talk about the the Greek deities, many of them have many epithets. They have many secondary names and they aspect differently depending on the the secondary name. So it's important to research them and know that you're talking to the correct aspect of the deity that is actually aligned with what you're trying to manifest. Um, in ceremonial magic, they might work with archangels. We are Wiccan. The book can be used by people of pretty much any religion. But I am Wiccan, so I speak from a Wiccan perspective. Um, but there is so much in the book that, that is it's it's magic. And you don't have to be Wiccan to do it. But as a victim.
1: I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, um, And people, I love to, first of all, I love doing this show and I love talking to the authors and I always tell my audience, take the book, read the book. If some language or some uh, specific parts of the book don't resonate with you, take what works for you. Take what works for you. And because I know a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, no, I'm not awakened. I'm not awakened. That book is not for me. You never know where you're gonna find wisdom, and um, quite simple. Like I tell my uh, family, whom are not pagan in any way, shape, or form, I just explain. You know, you call it prayer; we call it raising power or whatever. But we're gonna talk about raising power soon. But uh, pardon me, I I interrupted you. Please uh, finish your idea. No, it was a good. It it was
2: probably a good stopping point (laughs) to wrap that up. Uh, A practitioner may use both the law of similarity, the law of contagion, and and religious magic at the same time in one spell and again layer the magic for more power.
1: And now that you mentioned layering. So we have our idea right what do we need to do Uh, is now being manifested on the astral plane we understand now the laws of magic and what kind of magic we're going to use, whether it's synthetic, religious, contagion, or maybe a combination of all of them. And then comes the part that to me is one of the most interesting ones and where I see a lot of practitioners that they walk into the spell or ritual and then they go, "Ah," and they throw their hands in the air, right? I hope this works. And I'm like, scratch everything, go back to the drawing board and don't even get started because if you're coming in with that idea of doubt, nothing's going to happen. We need quite the opposite. We need heightened energy. We need to raise energy. We need to send the energy towards that intent. And a lot of people think that the only way to raise energy is putting and hollering and dancing and running around in circles. And that might not be it. So tell us a little bit about raising energy and how can people work
2: it out? I love this. First, I have to go back to what you said about, about belief. If you send out doubt, you're sending out doubt and nothing is going to happen. You have to be firmly convinced that you know what you're doing and you know how to manifest and it will manifest or you're that, going to get it.
1: doubt you're going to get doubt back absolutely your doubt is going to be increased exponentially and, and you yeah know, do you... you know i i remember long ago long ago my very first weekend teacher uh marty couch who used to say you don't go into circle and say i hope because your hope is going to be infinite and then you're never going to manifest what you want and that is something that is so ingrained in my in my head that i don't say i hope i don't say i wish or, or i don't doubt i just say so be it
2: but, so be it. yeah yep. so let's talk about raising power many people are familiar with sending energy for healing i talk a lot about that actually in the book because some people say they're sending healing when they're actually not doing anything and they write words on facebook and they haven't done anything. So I talk about how to actually send healing. But that's a, um, that was just to segue into raising power. Because when we send healing, we typically draw up from the earth or draw down from the universe and send it to the person that needs healing. And you can power magic very much the same way. Um, the way that we raise power, one is coloring and dancing. But there are many other ways, and not all of them are very active. Meditation is a way to raise power. In fact, when you work on the astral plane, and you are visualizing and creating what you're trying to manifest on the astral plane, you're also raising power. You can do that. You should. In fact, you, I strongly say you should. It's part of casting the spell to visualize it in the astral again because that raises power for it. You can, uh, the incantation, whether it's a rhymed incantation or just some words that you repeat over and over, raise power. Uh, drumming, incense, rubbing your hands, clapping your hands, singing. There are some that I won't go into. They are not safe for words. Oh same (laughs) (laughs) yes uh so but then what are you going to do with this power you have raised all this power now when you send it out you visualize it at going to the time and place where you are going to manifest this goal you you send it out you don't just have it you know, take down your circle if you happen to be working in a circle and just let it dissipate. No, you very deliberately send it to where your goal is going to manifest. Um, Another thing you can do to to, um, send the power where you want it to is to put yourself at the time and place where your goal is going to manifest. Really step into your own body at that time and place. And hear what you're going to hear, see what you're going to see, smell what you're going to smell, feel physically what you're going to sense, and most importantly, feel the emotions that you're going to feel when your goal manifests, because your emotions have enormous power that help um, power the, the magic. enormous power.
1: And I love that you talk about so many different ways to raise energy. Um, Back in the day, uh, times before COVID, you know, I used to have um, rituals and spell work in group. And sometimes it was, you know, facilitating for a group of 50 people working towards the same goal. And then you can do the spiral dance and you can sing and you can clap and you can dance and you can you know, do all this undulations on the space. And it was beautiful. And then uh, during COVID, it was, you know, two, three people on a room, six feet apart from each other, not necessarily dancing or singing or hooting and hollering because you don't want all that um, cross-contamination. But clapping, clapping was a beautiful way to, in unison uh, fill the rhythm, fill the energy of each other, and then send in that energy where it needs to go so that things get manifested. I love it. I love, love, love it. Um, okay. So now we have all of the things and the question number one, (laughs) especially when you're planning, if you do sometimes work with other people is like, okay, so when are we going to do it? When are we getting together? What's the best day? And I love that this book is filled with uh, exercises and tables and correspondences and the timing because the timing is magic. So talk to us a little bit about magical timing.
2: Well, the first thing you think about uh, because we're heading in the direction of astrology is here is sun signs. Sun signs are hard to work with because it takes a year. For it to come again, it might be 11 months until the a sun sign that lines up well with what you're going to do is coming around again. Yep. The moon, however, travels through all of the signs in 20. And so finding a day where the moon is in a sign that is supportive of your work. Is much easier and you can find it that way. Then you can also look at the sun, at the, the, where the moon is in its face. It's, I'm not going to go through all of the phases. All of the phases are discussed in the book, but that's a lot. But for example, the new moon. You know, the, when I say new moon, I mean Diana's bow, not the dark moon. I call the dark moon the dark moon because I find it confusing to call it the new moon. (laughs) So, Diana's bow, something from nothing. It was dark and now there is something. This is when you start manifesting things all the time from the dark moon to the full moon is a good time to manifest. Um, Diana's bow is a good time to start thinking about what you need and setting up your plans for, for, uh, what you're going to manifest, the entire time up to the full moon. Then when you pass the full moon, it's time to start about things, thinking about things that you want to get rid of. The strongest time is, of course, the last um, quarter or, or the last little sliver, the balsamic moon, because you have something that is going to become nothing. And so whatever you want to get rid of, you want to put into that last sliver of the moon because it's going to go away. You can't always line up the face of the moon with a sign that the moon is in that also supports your goal. So you may have to decide which is more important for whatever you're trying to do. Then there are other things that you can look at. There are planetary hours, um, there are, of course, planetary days, Monday, is the moon's day, and so on. And you can look at the gods that are associated with the days and find your best
3: timing.
1: And I think it's quite important that you have mentioned, you know, which time and which correspondence of time is the most important for the work that we're trying to do. Because what I have found on some of my apprentices is they are trying to cram all of the correspondences on one thing, on one act of magic. Uh, It has to be the right color, the right herb, the right day, the right time, the right uh, everything. And sometimes it's impossible. It is impossible. So you have to pick one that is the one that most directly speaks to the magic that you're doing for example um for people that might be wondering like what the heck is she talking about i am um, a mercury devotee i work with with god mercury again another god of communication and a psychopump and all that uh for which wednesdays is the best day uh, to work indeed. with mercury uh it just so happened that wednesday is my day off and i'm usually out and about with my husband because it's the only day that we both have off the whole day. Uh I'm not going to be doing my uh, rituals uh, unless, knock wood, I need something that is so uh, immense that I will have to offer that day off to Mercury, right? Um But otherwise, you know, I could find ways to work with Mercury and communication and, you know, like a dawn because that is the rising sun and is the communication and inspiration and all of that. So it doesn't have to be the specific day but it could be still the energy so that's what we're talking about like kind of like learning how to play about all these correspondences and making it fun because we forget sometimes phoenix that this has to be fun if it's not fun then why do it no don't you think that
2: yeah absolutely it's funny that you mentioned mercury because i was just going to before you said that going to say that You may also want to look at where the planets, especially the inner planets are. The outer planets don't really go anywhere. Um, But the inner planets do. And I was going to use Mercury as the example. If you are, for example, going to start a new business, you might want to be rather careful about what sign Mercury is in when you cast your spell. That may be that may, that may override where the moon is and, and what face the moon is and so on because you're going to start a business and you need Mercury to be in the right place.
1: Yeah, or not to be retrograde.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: There, there is a. I I heard on the news, I think it was in the news, somebody reported it. And of course they were, they were kind of like tongue in cheek. Uh, that this person got in trouble because they didn't pay their mortgage on time, or pay the bills or whatever. Because during Mercury retrograde they didn't do anything, and so they got in big they got into big trouble with you know U.S. banks because they were so late on the mortgage because every time Mercury retrograde. I mean, we don't recommend that, but you know that's how some people can be affected by it and uh we got we have to be careful you know we just have to be careful so all right so what are some other things that are in this wonderful book of yours that we haven't talked about just yet that you will want our listeners to kind of like be aware of
2: we haven't spoken a lot about the elements the elements are discussed uh, for their correspondences on how to how to incorporate that in magic. Runes are talked about in some detail for how to use them in magic, uh, what each rune stands for, and also various ways to use them. Use them as an alphabet, use them as um, what, they're, what they symbolize, use them as, put them together as fine runes, etc. And there are some warnings in there too for what not to do. Um, there are instructions in the book for how to make potions and how to make amulets and talismans and for longer acting magic. How to make thought forms, and of course, there's a lot about various healing spells and and spells for transformation and how to write incantations. I just mentioned that briefly, but there are some hints for how to write um, powerful incantations. Uh, there are. Instructions for how to craft spells for letting go and instructions for um, protection magic and how to create wards, how to set wards around your house or apartment or property, which is sometimes very important, depending on who is around you. How to use natural objects in magic, you know, stones and shells and things like that. Um... Another important thing that we haven't spoken about, which is actually in the beginning of the book, is to make sure that, how first of all, how you phrase your goal, to make sure that it's in the present and the positive and explain why, but also that your ecosystem supports your goal, that you have either have the resources you need or have a way of getting the resources, that you have the knowledge you need or have a way of getting the knowledge that your people around you support manifesting it. So without all that in place, um, it's it's a struggle. You Magic is not miracles. Magic is making the possible probable. You want to move the needle towards higher and higher probability, but it's got to be possible in the first place. And that's why it talks about acting in a as well. You... You have to take the steps that it will take to make it possible and your magic makes it probable.
1: And I love that you went back to kind of like the beginning of the book because um, the example of, you know, uh, wanting a spell for, for a job, you know, and yeah, I want to do a spell for a job and then I'm following all the steps and then I put out the spells and then I go and sit down in the basement for three months and be like, Nobody's called me for a job. Like, you are supposed to go and apply for jobs, honey. Like, magic is not miracles. I love that phrase you repeated on the book. And it is, you know. And for some people, they think it's like Hollywood. And it's not. And, and and it's not on any religion. It's not on Catholicism. It's not on Christianity. God don't come out and grab you by the hand, Jesus, and Take you places, you know. Those are miracles. They happen once in a while, but that's not what magic is. Magic is action. Is is, in my opinion, you know, is is fun. Is action is setting your mind towards a goal. Uh, like you were saying earlier, the secret of the secret is that there is no secret. You put your mind into it, and then you put your actions behind it. Yeah, and to make the possible probable. Probable. I love that too. Um, so before we uh, go towards the end of the show, I was going to ask you, and I forgot to tell you earlier, um, Twyla York and myself recorded a little thing. It's a, it's a little infomercial about Parliament of the World Religions. So I was going to invite you, Phoenix, if you have a minute, and that we can go listen to uh, the information that Twyla gave us for the Parliament, and then we come back. To close the show, is that okay with you? Absolutely. All right, we'll be right back in just a minute. Hello, we are Twyla York and Laura Gonzalez, and we are the officially unofficial Pagan committee ambassadors for Chicago for Parliament of the World Religions. No, we're not. We're not an official. We're just two friends that are overly excited about. Parliament of the World Religions.
3: First of all how are you Twyla? I'm doing really well. I'm very excited for Parliament coming up. How are you doing? I'm doing really well and I'm
1: actually very excited about Parliament and because we are very excited about Parliament of the World Religions happening in Chicago or hometown. I invited Twyla to tell us a little bit about first of all what is
3: Parliament of the World Religions? So Parliament of the World's Religions was actually started before the Great Fire in Chicago, and it was created to kind of uh, cultivate harmony among the world religions and try to foster engagement with all of these institutions, and how can we work together to achieve a just, a peaceful, and sustainable world? Um, they, they, they gather every three years, roughly three years, in different cities around the world to gather and work on these issues and uh this
1: year is going to be in chicago yes
3: it's going to be at the mccormick place
1: it's going to be right right on my backyard literally i (sighs) for those who don't know i live very very close to the mccormick place and why do you think it's important that we Represent not only from Chicago, but from all over the world, we as pagans, why should we be proactive? Why should we be going?
3: As pagans, we should be going because we as a religious spiritual movement and group and identity had to fight for our place at parliament. Um, Every step of the way, we had amazing people like Phyllis and Angie and Andras fighting tooth and nail, among many, many other important pagans, also Selena, for us to have a space within the parliament to recognize among the big religious leaders that paganism is valid and important and a very diverse, large community network of individuals from a wide range of backgrounds. And being at Chicago, we want to represent that fully Yeah, this is the beautiful tapestry that is paganism. Come show that, come be part of this tapestry that we're gonna show these other religious leaders who and what we are and how we practice and how we celebrate. Beautiful.
1: So when is parliament and how do we sign up?
3: So parliament is gonna be August 14th through the 18th as we said in the McCormick Place, downtown Chicago. And if you go to the Parliament of Religions, Dot .org, you can sign up for tickets. Um, they have discounted tickets if you have a larger group going. They also have discounted tickets for children and if you have a field trip arranging with a uh, youth group. Uh, but again, you go to Parliament of World Religions, my apologies, Parliament of Religions.org, and you can get tickets there and all the details of all hundreds of workshops and programs and art display and music. That's all gonna be there.
1: And of course we're gonna do the shameless self-promotion because we all are gonna be presenting. So I'm gonna be with Reverend Selena Fox and Reverend Deborah Rose talking about women and podcasting.
3: And then we are gonna be doing a pagan voices of Chicago panel. So we have Laura Gonzalez, myself, Damien Hahn, Claire Levioki, Chris Allen. Lisa Lee and Jamie Marie Robinson um, representing our individual different voices and paths within paganism and then I'm also doing another panel which is going to be the voices of the goddesses with Angie Buchanan and a whole slew of other women we each are connecting with different goddesses and writing a piece about it and wearing these beautiful artistic masks um, as our writing is read out loud
1: That is wonderful. And last but not least, of course, I'm going to be doing a panel with uh, Reverend Karen Green and Reverend Selina Fox about Festivals of the Dead. Of course, we're going to be talking about Day of the Dead, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, and absolutely Samhain, Halloween, and whatnot. And then whatever else comes through between then and now, because we are going to be taking part on ceremonies or the group uh, the uh, room or I don't know I mean I'm about to go with the flow and go wherever I'm called so it's going to be a good time and please remind us Twyla of the website where people can sign up
3: it's going to be parliamentofreligion.org and it's going to be August 14th through the 18th at McCormick Center in downtown Chicago there's still lots of time to sign up This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It will change you um, being surrounded by all these amazing people from all these different faiths working for a common goal.
1: Thank you so much, Twyla, for being here on CSMP talking about Parliament of the World Religions. My name is Laura Gonzalez. And until we meet again, never forget that you are loved. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Twyla York. And thank you, Laura, from the past. Uh, for all that information about Parliament of the World Religions, we hope to see you there at Parliament. As you heard us earlier, it's going to be fun, and we've been doing—we're going to be doing so many things. I'm so happy about Parliament. Uh, are you coming to Parliament, Phoenix?
2: I haven't decided that. I I have been lying low this year. I had a, a tragedy last year, so I've been lying low.
1: All right. Well, if you decide, we would love to see you. And to all who listen, if you decide to come, we would love to see you here in Chicago. Um, it's going to be fun. And Phoenix, where can people get your wonderful book? Of course, Spells from Scratch, How to Craft Spells that Work.
2: Where can people get this book? Uh, start with your local bookstore always. But then it's, of it's course, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the all the places, all, all the normal places you get um, your books.
1: And of it's... course, is a book by Llewellyn International. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Phoenix, for being here on the show. It was so good to see you. I cannot believe we haven't seen each other since 2019, but it was fantastic when you told me that you were um, coming up with this book. I was just so excited because you're a wonderful person and very knowledgeable. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being on the show. And now I give you the microphones so you can say goodnight to your
2: audience. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. And thank you, Laura, for having me on the show. That was really a lot of fun. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Phoenix, for being here. And to everybody, just to remind you that we have over 950 hours of shows on CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. You can listen to us on... Blog talk radio, Spotify, iTunes, students, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have shows throughout the whole month. On the third Wednesday, we have Circle of Nature with Reverend Selena Fox. Two Tuesdays a month, we have Circle Talk with Deborah Rose. On um, the third Friday of the month, we have Blue Marble with Charlotte Bear. The second and fourth Fridays of the month, we have uh, Songs of the Pagan Tribe with Kern Greenman, and every Saturday, we have Paganos del Mundo or Pagados del Mundo with Christine Ortiz, Harwetui Leva, Patricia Finkler, Carolina Moore, Monica Gobin, or yours truly, Laura Gonzalez, either on Spanish or Portuguese, and obviously, every second and fourth Monday of the month, we have Lunatic Mondays with yours truly, Laura Gonzalez. 950 hours of podcasts that you can listen, download, and share, or keep for your archives and learn, learn, learn. So thank you all for supporting our work that we do on CSMP. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I will remind you to never forget that you are loved. Bye-bye. Lunatic Mondays is a production of Laura Gonzalez for CSN Podcasts building bridges of community around the world.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash csn podcast we can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as itunes stitcher spotify and others until next time many blessings